Federal agencies are still getting to the bottom of pandemic fraud, and they've got a long way to go. The Labor Department just uncovered yet another big source of misspent funds. The department reports more than a third of funds spent in its pandemic unemployment assistance program turned out to be improper payments. Ouch. Former pandemic watchdogs say that translates into a startling amount of fraud. I'd say, duh. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has more. Jory, tell us exactly what Labor Department found here. Right. So the Labor Department in this recent report, they estimated that the improper payment rate for this pandemic unemployment assistance program between March 2020 and September of 2021, when the program was active, they estimated 36% of those payments were improper payments. And we should mind our P's and Q's here. Not all improper payments amounts to fraud. But what this breaks down to here is overpayments by and large. There were some small degree of underpayments as a result of that improper payments. But another significant fraction here was just payments where they couldn't readily identify whether it was improper or or not. And remind us who was supposed to benefit from the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, the PUA. So this program was supposed to benefit freelancers and those participating in the gig economy, people who, by the very nature of their work, had a tough time proving their level of employment and whether they were unable to continue working. What we've learned for a while now is that unemployment insurance programs of all stripes were prone to improper payments since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. But Amy Simon, the former acting deputy assistant secretary for the Labor Department's Employment and Training Administration, she said that at least with the regular unemployment insurance process, there were some checks to make sure that that was on the up and up. Someone comes and claims unemployment insurance, you connect with and check with their previous employer. Like, was it this person? Did they make this much money? Did they separate from employment for acceptable reasons? And so there's sort of a triangle between the former employer, the worker themselves, and the state workforce agency. And so that triangle provides some safety, at least double checking of data elements within unemployment insurance. Yeah, it's called a W-2. And of course, freelance and gig people have a thing called a 1099. Maybe they hadn't heard of that one. And so therefore, what led to all of these improper payments? Well, the really big driver here, Tom, is that this was a program that had self-certification in place for a vast majority of the payments that went out the door here. To go back to you know how much money we're even looking at here, Labor issued $131 billion in assistance in the first year of this program in 2020, and a lot, the vast majority of those payments went out before it had put stronger measures in place here. And what we've known for a variety of programs is that that self-certification was a huge driver for fraud and improper payments. For some added context here, I spoke with the former executive director of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, Bob Westbrooks, he recently wrote a book explaining all this fraud here. And he said that, you know, early on, the Secret Service said that international criminal organizations had filed fraudulent claims in all 50 states. It is an eye-watering kind of fraud. There's no doubt about it. The number doesn't surprise me. It, it actually saddens me and confirms, I think, what we've, what we've known for some time. Well, okay, so now we know and can admire the problem in which billions and tens of billions of dollars went down the virtual toilet, you might say. What more are agencies now doing maybe to prevent future improper payments of this nature? 
Right. What they're doing now is they are investing in some of these state unemployment insurance programs, the IT that underlies them. What we've learned is that some of these systems have been uh, underfunded for decades now, and so they are trying to modernize those uh, to handle any surge in claims coming in. One other thing that the Labor Department tried to do in 2020 was stand up a, an an unemployment integrity data hub that would give states an opportunity to cross-reference claims coming in and make sure that, for example, the same social security number wasn't used in you know, a dozen states to file for unemployment. But what we learned is that early on, at least, uh, only a fraction of states were taking advantage of that hub. And so there's a real incentive now for everyone to make use of that data and just do some basic cross-checking before cutting that check. And, Jory, you talked to a lot of former people. I guess maybe they're former because they were in the prior administration or they're running with their tails to get away from this problem. But what else do they say is necessary to get around this and not have it happen again? Yeah, one thing that really came up here, and we've heard this time and again, a lot of agencies in 2020 and 2021 really emphasized speed of payment, saying this was such an emergency situation that they were willing to break a couple of eggs to make an omelet here, get that money to people who really needed it. But I also spoke with former PRAC Deputy Executive Director Linda Miller. She said that from the perspective of agencies, uh, they really were focus exclusively on that speed of payment. They, for even before the pandemic, weren't prioritizing uh, that improper payments and those checks uh, and measures to uh, have in place there. And she's a former GAO uh, executive, and she spoke to her experience during that time. When I was a GAO and we would talk to agencies, they would say, our mission is to get these benefits into the hands of the people who need them. Our mission is not to identify fraud, waste, and abuse. And what we used to say was, no, your mission is to get these benefits into the correct hands. Yeah, so just the same old story on a really massive scale that we are now still uncovering body by body in the aftermath of the pandemic. Right. You know, I think the theme here is that a lot of these problems are not new. A lot of these problems predate the pandemic. But when we saw this surge in spending go through these programs, it really highlighted these existing problems on a massive scale. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to read it and weep his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously 
spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand, when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast a vision. They are the ones 
that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, d- d- describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that, believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed. uh, And, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay. I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer. Right. Because I just believe that if you want it, bad enough. If you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when, and when I was born, 
right? As I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. Matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.